Michael, it's that <laughs> time again. Adam, it is it, that time. It's true. We're in timeout. <laughs> well, Mike, what is this? Well, uh, this is a uh, bottom shelf dreams. The it's a it's a top tier dreaming podcast that wishes it was on the bottom shelf. <laughs> true that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this podcast, if you're new, is just about us, um, you know, casting a vision for for products that we feel don't necessarily get enough love, or we believe that they live in the shadow of another product, and we feel like uh, the little brother, in this case, might be just as good as the big brother. Yes. We look at the underrated things of the world, and... We we try to find uh, the the golden the golden light at the end of the tunnel for them, and even along the way we imagine a, a universe in which they beat out their bigger brother. It's true. It's true. And um, this week we have um, maybe one of our more outlandish comparisons in compared to previous leaks. Would you say, Mike? Yeah, this one is a stretch. Um, it's going to cause division, hatred, famine, plague. Uh, <laughs> you know, swarms of locusts. Swarm, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we're... Uh, but before we just jump into that, uh, we, sh- we should mention that uh, any love we receive... Through subscribing to us on Spotify, or not Spotify, Spotify, or giving us uh, a rating on Apple um, or iTunes podcasts, that love will mean so much to us. If you like us, let us know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we definitely appreciate any and all interaction, and we uh, we we love we love you guys. All right. So, what what is the what is the soup du jour, chef? <laughs> well, this week uh, we're pitting uh, a little-known movie, uh, The Avengers, mm-hmm. um, against uh, this fantastic little movie from the early 2000s, uh, A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, yes. And uh, what a movie. Yeah, uh, it it's fan. I mean, it's extraordinary. It says so right in the title. Mm-hmm. And it's the the title is absolutely a hundred percent true. As League of Extraordinary Gentlemen has just that and nothing else in terms <laughs> of gender and ability. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I mean, I. And everyone at the Avengers, they don't need any introduction. We we know them. They're the mm-hmm. you know the the media juggernaut that is Marvel. And um, yeah, so this is just a comparison of uh, you know a, a well-rounded group of extra-powered gentlemen and gentle ladies. And um, yeah, we're we're gonna put them head to head, and and why the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen deserves a second chance, and why it deserves your view. Yeah. And the thing that makes this work, Adam, is how many comparisons you can make between both movies. It's true. And maybe 
the biggest sin of League is that it just came out too early for us to appreciate it. For sure. I mean, it was doing an ensemble cast of super-powered <laughs> individuals way before, you know, Marvel or DC were even thinking about it. Like, this movie came out in 2003. Oh, so, yes. So this is, you know, this is in the heyday of, like, Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. Absolutely. So let's let's kick off this pig. Um <laughs> Tell, tell tell those millennial kids, you know, those kids who are dabbing and planking as we speak. Tell them what is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? Mike, I'm so glad you asked. Um, so like I said earlier, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out in 2003. It's, um, you know, an action fantasy movie. You know, it's, the runtime runs it uh, just under two hours, hour 50 minutes. Um, now, the good news is that it's a steampunk uh, superhero film loosely based on a series of comic book novels written by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. Um, mm-hmm. And it stars uh, the incomparable Sean Connery, among others. And uh, it's, you know, its universe I- exists in um, where these literary characters... Um, you know, from Jules Verne or H.G. Wells, Bram Stoker, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you know, those guys. Ian Fleming, uh-huh. Oscar Wilde, all those guys. Edgar Allan Poe, Mark Twain. They all, um, they all have a, a basis in reality. So the books exist, but then, you know, Dorian Gray is like a, a real-life a real person, and the books are based on him. Or uh, the main character in the movie is Alan Quartermain, and he's... I know, based on the the stories, uh, King Solomon's Mind. So all these <clears throat> fictional literary characters are kind of brought to life, and they they go on these grand escapades, or you know, earth spanning uh, over the earth and even under the earth, um, and they uh, you know enjoy various steampunk Victorian era shenanigans. Yeah, and I love that premise. That is, as a writer myself, I would have loved to have thought and invented that. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a very original, it's a very original piece of, of writing, mm-hmm. even though it's copying other people's writings, but, mm-hmm. um, but that's what's cool about it. I mean, it's, it's your fan fiction come to life. Absolutely. And if you can't beat them, wait till the author dies and then steal them. Exactly. I mean, we all those know are, that. Exactly, and those are all public domain, so it's fine. Yeah. Everything is fine. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the good news. Uh, here's the bad news. Um, it's rated at a, a 5.8 on IMDb. It's got a 17% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's got a 30% on Metacritic, which I don't get. I mean, sure. I mean, maybe it's not a cinematic masterpiece like uh, I don't know Endgame or whatever. But it it's a fun movie, Mike. It's it's got some mm-hmm. pretty good it's got some good effects. The characters are likable. They're pretty faithful to their literary counterparts, and it's you know it's a, it's a fun movie. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's a little it's a little gritty. It's a little bit more realistic, but it's it's fun. It's it's a good time. Yes. In in two thousand, every movie critic decided that fun will not be a part of our rating curriculum. 
And that is why movies in the 90s, like Kazam with, <laughs> <laughs> or Batman Forever, <laughs> that will be the last of its kind. It's true. I mean, I, I wish we lived in a world where bat nipples and bat credit cards were normalized, Mike. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, you know, what, what blows my mind even more is, um, it, you know, it was a fun movie. It was an enjoyable movie. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> any worse than Spider-Man, like, 2 or 3. Like, it's, you know, it's the quality is about there. It, mm-hmm. it was, you know, in line with the quality of the time. But it made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, the budget was, uh, they made the movie for about $78 million. And the box office gross was $179 million. I mean, right. There's a, it, there was definitely profit and it, and it definitely shows that there's a market for it. And, um, yeah, no, it, so it, it blows my mind that the, uh, that the show, the movie never got a sequel or, um, mm-hmm. a deeper analysis of it. Yeah. And, and you know how these things work. Um, people will, uh, they'll say that it was too many characters on the screen. We couldn't fall in love with any of them. We had no investment. Um, it's it's the old uh, Suicide Squad argument. Yeah, it's true. Ben. But at the same time, like a lot of the things that Avengers has going for it, I mean, it feels like uh, this movie was doing it first. Like mm-hmm. It had, it had a... Um, you know, a, a likable kind of almost, I don't want to say an elder statesman, but like, you know, someone that the, a main character that audiences could latch on to. You know, Avengers has Robert Downey Jr. in the iconic Iron Man role. Well, here, Alan Quartermain is played by none other than possibly one of the greatest English, or is he English? I think he's Scottish. I don't know. He's, he's Scottish. By, he's Scottish. Played by Sean Connery. <laughs> and he just oozes that Sean Connery charisma. Mm. Um, and you know what's not to love I mean he, he's a little bit older so his character kind of gets more by um, gets on by by less his, his physical characteristics and more on his wit and his you know his, his grim determination and, and his experience so you know, he's uh-huh. a very likable character and he, he, you know he's flawed he's a little standoffish but you know there's some, there's some, real, there's some real genuine moments in there yes and, you know, I always thought that Avengers was the innovator of uh, superhero movies with intense peril and constant uh, journeys and adventures. And, I, you know, I had to apologize to League of Extraordinary Men, um, gentlemen, because they, they're the ones that kind of uh, created this. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're, you know, they're they're the the originator of the ensemble cast. Um, you know, we they're doing it. You know, ten years even before, um, you know, Avengers even even comes out. You know, in twenty, you know, the if the watershed mark is Avengers in twenty twelve, you know, this is you know nine years, ten years before. Absolutely. Actually, yeah, and. Even the the director of the film has experience doing uh, superhero films. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the director previously directed the uh, the nineteen ninety eight version of Blade, so 
he has a he does a really good job of being able to translate superheroes onto the big screen. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there you have it. There you have it. You go go watch this movie right now. I can't recommend it enough. It was definitely a favorite. Yes. Oh. As we speak, timestamp uh, June fourth, twenty twenty. 921 a.m. It is on Hulu. You can stream it with no with no uh, commercials because they don't like to put commercials in old movies. Um, and yeah, you, you get a free Avengers quality experience. Prequel. Yes. Um, and even, you know, th- this movie... This movie even has, uh, you know, some of the the tropes that we we come to enjoy from, you know, the the, the Avengers movies. You know, we have the headstrong, charismatic leader. You know, uh, that we have an Iron Man and Alan Quartermain, and you know, there's like a, a young upstart that he kind of takes under his wing with like Spider Man, and you know, there's you know, there, there's just so many comparisons, but oh, absolutely. Um, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen um, also is, you know, the first, uh, in my opinion, the first movie that kind of takes the superhero genre and doesn't make it silly. You know, up until up until this point, you know, you have you know, all the Superman movies of the '80s and '70s that are just kind of, you know, goofy and and lighthearted. And then you know, you got your classic Tim Burton's Batman's from the '90s and. You know that are definitely more camp than they are. You know, serious stories, and then uh-huh. along along comes uh, this movie, and it's it's definitely it has its moments of comedy, but it's definitely uh, grittier than what's come before it, and you know definitely sets the tone for for superhero movies to come. Absolutely. Um. Yeah. Uh, you know, watching the movie. You know, I kept coming to this conclusion that this, this, the excitement is in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and the the twisting paths. I don't know. It's kind of like a Golden Corral buffet, <laughs> where if you take one piece and you focus on just one dish at Golden Corral. You you kind of say, eh, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't die on this hill, Mm-mm. but if you copy and paste that dish, like for like times twenty, <laughs> and, and uh, have unlimited amounts of it, then you start to see the value. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You mm-hmm. get a, you get a lot of you got you get a lot of dishes at a good price. And you get lots of it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like uh, you know three aisles of lo mein and pork. Delicious. And who can say no to that? Really? No, nobody can. Really? Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now this is based on a graphic novel, as you said, by Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill. Mm-hmm. And as as you might have guessed, anything with uh, Alan Moore's name on it means it's more for adults. So this movie clocks in at a PG-13 rating. Mm-hmm. 
Um, have you had an experience reading the graphic novel? Um, so I have not read the graphic novel. I know it exists, um, but, you know, at the time when this movie came out and I'd watched it, I was just like, oh, wow, like, this is cool. It's based mm-hmm. on a lot of these you know, characters from these classic novels I was reading at the time. And yeah, so I, I was yeah. not aware that it was a, an Alan Moore special. Yes. So I have a confession. I thought we were doing comic to comic comparison at the beginning. So I signed up for Comicology uh, <laughs> Unlimited Bundle. Nice. Which I was just looking for an excuse to do that. And you kind of gave welcome. it to me. You're welcome. Um, I dived into volume one of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And I'm going to say that Alan Moore might not be happy with how his movie um, <laughs> came out. I, I think they took a lot of creative liberties. Um, they changed the name of the Invisible Man. So there's an Invisible Man, and they just decided his old name was stupid, and they gave him a new name in the movie. Mm-hmm. They yeah. turned the lead female into a vampire when she's just kind of, in the comic book, she's she's not a vampire. She's just kind of a, a very smart and sassy woman. Mm. Um, they added Dorian Gray and uh, Sawyer. Yeah, um, He's the, the cowboy. Mm-hmm. Kind of um, Alan yeah. Quartermain takes him under his wing. Yep. And so what what you actually get in the comic book is a, like a lot more adult themes and a lot less characters. Mm. And I wonder how Alan Moore feels about that. The one thing I do understand is that Van Helsing came out around the same time. So yeah. I think there was pressure to be more Van Helsing-y. And also, uh, Hellboy was out there, too. So um, you definitely get those kind of vibes. Yeah, for sure. It, it definitely was in that era of, of superhero-adjacent films where they were, you know, they were trying as hard as they could to kind of tell these more adulter stories as opposed to the cheese factory that is Spider-Man, yeah. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And many people will not remember that this was the last movie that Sean Connery was the lead role of for the rest of his movie career. That is true. And, you know, this comes after he turned down the role to be Gandalf, I think, and he turned down the role to be uh, the... Uh, uh, one of the roles in the Matrix, I can't, I can't remember which one, no. but, but Sean Connery's like, oh, these action flicks are making sci-fi fantasy action flicks are making money. I should probably get in on this, but he uh-huh. bet his, he bet, he bet his money on the wrong horse. Yes, no, yeah. Not, I, not that this franchise didn't make any money. It's just in mm-hmm. comparison to Lord of the Rings and in comparison uh, to the Matrix, it's not even close. Uh, yeah. I wonder if people blame this movie for killing his acting spirit. If that's yeah. really why they hate it. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, a, that's a good, you know, that's a good thing to, to talk about. I mean, there was even mm-hmm. conflict. I know we mentioned the director earlier, but yeah, the, apparently the two of them didn't get along on set. So I'm sure that that, you know, that definitely played into why there wasn't a, a sequel or 
even a you know a a trilogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> mm-hmm. But if if bad gothic movies. Um, are what kills the, the, the lives of actors, then we should have never seen Hugh Jackman again after Van Helsing. <laughs> and Ron Perlman should be off the map, too, um, after Hellboy. Yeah, I wa- yeah e- exactly. And it's, you know, it, it's tough to see why, I mean, why Sean Connery kind of, like, drops off the map after this. But, I mean, you know, it's it's... It's unfortunate that an acting legend like him kind of drops off the uh, the earth after you know this kind of mm-hmm. critical bomb. Yeah. So shall I go on to our competitor? I guess if you have to talk about the Avengers, you can talk yes. about the Avengers. I mean, what's to say about the Avengers? If you're a geek, you probably already know. Even if you're about... not a geek. Yeah. Even. Like, even if you're just, like, a geek's girlfriend or boyfriend, you probably know more about the Avengers than you care to know about. True. But, you know, we have this movie called The Avengers, and it is amazing. And the money speaks. Uh, Rated in one of the top three most selling superhero movies. Um, Infinity War made $2 billion, Avengers made $1.5 billion, and Avengers Ultron made $1.4 billion. That's a lot of billions. Yep. If we're looking at uh, the value of a, as a comic book, if you happen upon Avengers number one, um, then if you have Avengers number one, that cost two thousand or two hundred and seventy four thousand dollars. Oh uh, my gosh! Yes. Yeah, so now, if you have League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, number one, um, number one, you can get that on eBay for eighty four dollars. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, apples, <laughs> apples and oranges. And the funny thing about that eBay listing is that it was originally $99, but the guy took off a few bucks to kind of... <laughs> kind of... Yeah. Negotiated him down. That's Yeah, great. it's like, please, just buy this comic book. I swear, it's good. <laughs> yeah. That's so unfortunate. Yeah. For, not even the Alamore name could save it. Yeah. So, Avengers won a few awards. And the amazing thing is that it didn't win the awards that I thought it would win, mm. but it now makes sense to know which awards it won. So it won an MTV Movie Award for Best Villain, Tom Hiddleston, um, <laughs> the MTV Movie Award for Best Fight between Scarlett Johansson and um, Chris Hemsworth. Or he's just, he's the, the, those are the two that kind of accepted the award. Okay. Um, Team Choice Award for uh, Choice Summer Actor, Chris Hemsworth. Ooh. Um, it won a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic Presentation. Uh, Joss Whedon got that award. Mm. Um, 
it a People's Choice Award for favorite um, action actor is Robert Downey Jr. It won a Best Summer Movie Award by the Teen Choice Awards. Um, it won a, an Anna Award for its for its graphics and use of uh, technology. And I I know you keep your ear close to those Anna Awards. Yeah, uh, every yes. year we have a, a watch party. Yes. So it also won a Saturn Award and a BAFTA Award. Ooh. So even if you don't land on Oscar Mountain, um, Avengers landed on many hills. <laughs> it's true. And, it, and, mm-hmm. and it's fair to say that they, they also got nominated for a couple of uh, mm-hmm. Academy Awards, mostly for their, for their graphic, uh, their graphical work. Yeah. But what it comes down to is lovable characters. If, True. Um, if I was the lawyer trying to prove that Avengers is worthy, um, I would say today I'm going to prove that lovable characters is what makes your superhero movie worth your time. And you got the lovable characters, the Robert Downey Juniors, the Chris Hemsworth, the Chris Evans. The Scarlett Johansons. Um, you got a lovable villain who who is also kind of funny and tells jokes, but is also like uh, this very visible threat. Um, and you just have the uh, all the iconic actors that you want these fresh faced young um, mid twenties, late thirties characters that um people just didn't really know that well but when they finally saw these people in action they instantly fell in love yeah and i would definitely say that that's the calling card of these these marvel films it's like this you know we'll call it the uh, the marvel charismatic bump yes and it just seems that every character when they come onto the screen that it just it lights up, no matter if it's, you know, the villain, whether it's a, you know, a likable, hunky, uh, mm-hmm. Asgardian god. You, you, you can't turn yourself away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, and this is the big one. This is what Avengers, uh, this is what it goes home at night and brags about. <laughs> um, but Avengers is the first attempt to create a whole universe which has not been tried before. And it was a huge gamble and it was a success. So Avengers is the reason we have movie universes. Avengers is the reason DC wants a movie universe. Avengers is the reason Valiant wants a movie universe. Avengers is the reason that Netflix wanted a Marvel universe. And Avengers is the reason Tom Cruise was put in an awful mummy movie to start a dark universe. <laughs> so True. they couldn't even, they couldn't get it done with Tom Cruise. That's how you know that this is special. Very true. Very mm-hmm. true. It's, it's a formula that is often copied, but very rarely is successfully done outside of 
outside of Marvel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I would say that it's in part the fact that um, the, the actors that they got, they, they got just the right actors. They, they, they brought a lot to the screen and they're very charismatic and they're very, you know, they're, they're, they're great actors. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, the, I would say it comes down to uh, their acting, the, the, the cinemographics, but also I think it's they've created a, a product that is very um, accessible for, for everyone. Like, you don't have to have read, you know, all the, all the series of Marvel uh, Avengers-run comics to, to understand what was going on. Like, at the, it was, it's a very, uh, it's a very easy, it's, a, it's an easy watch. You don't have to have a degree in, in comics to understand what's happening. Right. Everything is so iconic, and all the puzzle pieces fit in so perfectly that you could just tell someone, you know, watch Avengers, um, know that there's a little backstory, but it's not really that important. And, you know, just, you know, if if you're just there for the eye candy, then, you know, just stare at Chris Hemsworth, and you'll get it all. <laughs> you know, I did. Yeah, those, those eyes, oh, those blue eyes. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The, um, the edging on uh, Tony Stark's facial hair—if <laughs> if that doesn't—if that doesn't pay for the ticket, nothing will. True, it's very true. <laughs> and uh, you know, even even Marvel has uh, another thing that it has going for it is like this kind of Marvel humor that kind of perv- you know becomes part of the national consciousness. Like it, uh-huh. every movie kind of now is trying to to replicate this kind of quippy kind of uh, fun atmosphere that these these Marvel movies are known for. Yep, and we can all thank Joss Whedon, who he cannot tell a story without adding a little laughter, a little levity into it, and it it paid off big. If if you thought his jokes were uh, at least a little bit funny. You know, you got the Chris Hemsworth, or uh, I should use their names. You know, when Thor um, is arguing that Loki is his brother, and then uh, Scarlett Johansson's character, Black Widow, said he killed 80 people, and then he yells, he's adopted. <laughs> you know, it's it's that kind of humor that separated it from other movies. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's very um, disarming, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you, you see it in, in in these movies that that come out subsequently, and it, it's kind of become a, a staple for um, for these superhero movies that come out. Like you see, you know, even DC tries to emulate that in like Shazam or um, mm-hmm. or with uh, you know Birds of Prey, which is more of a, a, a copy of, of, of Deadpool, but um, yeah, th- there's this kind of this Marvel formula that everyone is either trying to emulate or trying to, um, you know, trying to, you know, trying to, to rip on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, oh yeah, Marvel, it's all light and fluffy and fun. We're going to go dark. We're going to go edgy. We're going to go controversial. Yes. And sometimes it would work. And then sometimes you'd ask Joss Whedon to fill in for one of your directors and make another League movie, and sometimes it would fall flat. 
on its <laughs> nose. Give us the Snyder Cut. Yes. Pour me some Apple Snyder. <laughs> but we digress. That's not what this podcast is about. Right, right. Um, so I have, I have a few reaction pieces. Okay, okay. Uh, I put on, there's this little website called, or this little Facebook group called Christian Geeks Assemble. Mm-hmm. And I asked these wonderful geeky people who are well-versed in comic books, movies, and other stuff, what they thought about if Extraordinary Gentleman was the top and the Avengers was kind of uh, lost in 2000 obscurity. Um, <laughs> here's what they have to say. Oh boy, I can't wait. Uh, yep, so a, a young man named Chad says, I don't know how well it would take off, but on the plus side, we would have Sean Connery. Yes. Yes. Man after my own heart. Yes. Sean Connery has amazing lines in that movie that have the words S in them. Um, (laughs) And and one thing he was trying to say, um, uh, settlement. Yeah. And it it came out so wonderful that I I just, uh, I cooed. Nathaniel says, are there enough characters to expand the, the universe beyond the league? And apparently he didn't read the comic and the movie, which added, like, so many characters. Yeah, literally all of them. Yep. <laughs> if you can think of a Victorian-era science fiction fantasy, that character's probably in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. <laughs> Then we have Corey, who says, it wouldn't have been as good. As much as I love the movie, it's about half and half for good acting and bad acting. On top of that, the writing was a lot cheesier, which could be what led to some of the bad acting performances. Can't argue with them there. No, absolutely. I mean, but, you know, to be fair, everything in the 2000s was pretty bad. Like, if you look at, you know, especially for comic book movies, like, it wasn't you know, it wasn't thought that a comic book movie could be could have good writing or good characters. Like it was always viewed mm-hmm. as like like this lesser art. It wasn't you know this kind of high art that um, you know it could. It's approaching now. Like you look at mm-hmm. things. You know, you look at like the uh, the Daredevil TV show. Like that's you know that's cinematic art. Uh, yes. Oh, if you're that's the tell, exception, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, superhero movies weren't, were never taken too seriously. And, um, yeah, so, mm-hmm. so I, I definitely agree with him. But also at the same time, I don't think that the bad writing, the bad acting is necessarily unique to uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yep. So Rebecca, um, she kind of gives this long uh, exposition. Okay. Um, She says, well, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Women has some classical gothic story characters set in Victorian era, but it would be so freaking epic. Lol, I love that movie. You might actually be onto something new that they could do, but it would be much more grown up. Disney gothic romance was dark and grown up and kind of sad. MCU is a good catch-all because it it has hope. The good guys are just good guys generally. I would hesitate to allow my kids, if I had any, um, <laughs> watching a gothic romance-esque universe series until they were teenagers. 
Not ideal for Disney or their fan base. I think you really have to consider what the original purpose of the book's comics were. Avengers was to give people kids hope. Gothic novels are exploring the darker side of humanity and getting the author's angst out. What kind of angst might be a literary discussion? But that's just what I think. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's a that's a very, very good point. Um, but I think conversely, I would say that the market is just so saturated with, you know, that Marvel formula. You know, you got, you know, you got the Star Wars, you got, you know, the Avengers, you got, you know, Frozen 2. Like, there's, you know, not, not, that, the, not that the world is in, in any means in a shortage of hope. Um, because God knows that we need we need hope in these times. But you know, when when every movie kind of has that same sort of tone and that same sort of feel, it can get, mm-hmm. it can get, it can get kind of boring. It can get kind of run of the mill. And um, absolutely. Yeah, and, and and like she was saying, like those the the gothic horror themes are definitely more mature and for more mature audiences. But um, I don't see anything inherently wrong with that. I think that that allows us to kind of question ourselves as as humans and as beings that were created by um by god and you know he gave us these um you know he gave us these emotions he gave us these you know these things that we we need to struggle with and we need to deal with and, um but i think that there ultimately has to be a, a triumph over those things you know we can't let those things you know mm-hmm. we can't let those things just kind of fester yep and it's worth noting that the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie is much, much lighter than its comic that it was inspired on. Mm, um, absolutely. When Alan Moore wrote this, he included uh, themes of rape, um, themes of drugs, and uh, murder and poverty into his story. Which is why anyone who wants to jump over to his uh, little story, uh, Volume 1 of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, do so with caution. Do so knowing that you're getting a very rated R story. Yeah, very true. It's, it's very much in line with you know, his other works like V for Vendetta or uh, Watchmen, mm-hmm. um, t- just, to, just to name drop a few. Absolutely. So what are some uh, positives to uh, League of Gentlemen that you would you would say put it put it above its counterpart? Oh man, Mike, uh, this was this was hard because um, you know for this episode I I had to um, you know when I when I was pitching this to you I was like this is this is a, a movie that I just really loved as a kid it kind of really sparked my imagination and it. You know, I would say uh-huh. that it's definitely one of the driving forces into becoming a, a comic book, video game, literary nerd that I am now. So, I, you know, I, I try to be objective. I try to find things. But at, at the end of the day, I think that's what makes this, this movie so strong. Like, it came about at the right time for me. And a lot of things that stood out to me, I think, still stand out. And they, they'll still convince people. So, um, you know, one of the things that I put down um, that are a definite plus for this movie is that all these awesome literary characters are being brought to life. You know, like you, you get to see, um, you know, you get to see your, your favorite gothic horror uh, characters, uh, you know, be, be put to screen. Much like, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of 
uh, nerds that grew up in the uh, the 80s got to see Iron Man and um, you know Thor and Hulk be on the big screen. You know, I I was a big fan of you know Jules Verne and Captain Nemo and H.G. Wells and Bram Stoker and um, you know Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Like these were you know these were my literary heroes and to be able to see these these all these characters thrown together for an epic adventure through um you know in the world um and kick butt and take names like you can't ask for more than that and that was mm-hmm. definitely a, a plus for me and um you know as i was watching um i w- uh i i kind of realized that um my my reading horizons needed to be expanded and you know i started reading 20,000 leagues under the sea and you know, I fell in love with that, and um, you know, I fell in love with Captain Nemo so much to the point that that's not my gamer tag, Mike. Like all my all my stuff online, mm-hmm. usually, um, you know, twenty thousand leagues under the sea are, are Nemo related. So, um, yeah, so it, it it definitely set me up for um, you know my my future nerddom. And uh, if you're uh, if if you love literary uh, literary characters and you and you love you know those kind of books, this is definitely the movie for you. That also explains why you put so much money into organizations that hunt whales. Yeah, you know, I I really really hate whales. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nemo. <laughs> um. <Yeah>. Anyways, um, <laughs> moving on. Um. Secondly, it's it's just it's a it's a fun movie. It's a movie to just um kick back and relax to. Like it's you, you know you're not going into it thinking about. Um, you know, world politics. You're not going into it thinking about, you know, this overarching dread of, you know, some purple Barney-looking monster coming to destroy Earth. There's, you know, there's not really too big of a stake uh, involved here. Like, it's just a good drag out action flick with some of your favorite characters, some of your favorite tropes, and some great one-liners. And it's just mm-hmm. a fun movie. It's just a great movie. Yeah, the amazing thing is, if I sat you down and I said, uh, I want you to watch a superhero movie with, it's got a, a, a statesman with some, you know, wisdom and knowledge from the past. Um, it's got a redheaded, fiery femme fatale. <laughs> it's got um, a guy who uses stealth and kind of like ninja techniques to get jobs done right um it has a hulking monster (laughs) um you would you would obviously you would think man he's talking about the avengers right uh no i'm talking about league of extraordinary gentlemen exactly like a lot of these (laughs) tropes that uh avengers are built on you know league of extraordinary gentlemen they did it first yeah absolutely you know, I mean, literally, even down to like the Hulk, the, his whole Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Well, guess what? He's literally in this movie, Doctor Jekyll yep. and Mister Hyde. They did it first. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, there's the funny scene. So, um, Avengers. I mean, I think Avengers should be sued after watching these two back to back. So there's the airship. Where right. the Hulk gets loose, right, and destroys everything, right. Well, wouldn't you know it? There's a huge submarine where Jekyll gets loose as part of the enemy's plan, right. 
and destroys everything. <laughs> Nine years in advance. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm just saying, I think Joss Whedon and the people over at Marvel, they watched, they watched this League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie and they were like, hmm. We're going to take a lot of these troops and we're going to make it ours and make lots of money off of it. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And that leads me to the last and final, probably most controversial point, but I'll I'll fight hand in in foot for this. Um, um, I'm just going to go ahead and say this and um, deal with any backlash later, but uh, Sean Connery... He's cooler than Robert Downey Jr. There, I said it. You know what? I'm going to go with it. No regrets. You know, he was in Highlander, and as they say in Highlander, um, only one shall live. <laughs> Nailed it, Mike. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean his, his role in this movie as, as Alan Quartermain, it's just an amalgamation of his two most iconic roles, in my opinion. It's the perfect combination of James Bond and Indiana Jones' dad. <laughs> like, Absolutely. Like, it's, it's literally the incarnation of those two things thrown together. So, mm-hmm. you know, what's not to love about, you know, uh, a, a James Bond, but a little rougher around the edges? Mm-hmm. And unlike Avengers, where they kept on Loki, um, Alan Quartermain knew how to kill his villain. It's true. Didn't yeah. hesitate at all. Nope. Um, and that man is a beast with a rifle. Yeah. And Loki, he he you could turn him into a punching bag. You could you could step on him with six tons of Hulk meat. <laughs> and you know, he'll feel a little dizzy. You know, maybe a little tired, a bit peckish. A little seasick. Yes. But you know, um, Alan Quartermain and Sawyer and all those guys, they knew how to kill. They knew For how to sure. fight. Exactly. There, there was no holding back. There were, there were no, yeah. there no hesitation. But, but yeah, so those, you know, those are my three reasons that um, you should definitely go and watch this movie. And why I think it's, you know, in some ways better than the event. You spoke about being hated for your opinions, but I'm about to give three criticisms why Avengers isn't as good as we remember. Ooh. So please send all your criticisms to I Hate Mike at at, uh, bottomshelfdreams.com. It's not not a real email yet, but soon, soon it will be. Um, If you've gotten this far in our podcast, congratulations. Now, now get ready to hear things that you may not like. You might, <laughs> you might not feel safe or comfortable. This is not a safe space. Yeah. Um, this is going to rock. This is going to rock the centers of your your geek universe. And I, <laughs> I, I apologize for the triggering, but you need to hear this. It's true. This, this is an intervention. True. So, so for okay, criticisms. Of the Avengers. Here we go. All right. Ooh. Number one, predictability. Ooh. Um, Disney and Marvel, when they merged, they made a company about lovable characters and cool science fiction effects. 
But with great children's appeal comes great third grader level predictability. Um, Disney and Marvel movies are all about being so um, cookie cutter in terms of their storytelling. Um, the foreshadowing is insanely obvious in those movies. And for Disney, it works. But for maybe the more learned and the more um, educated man looking to, to be challenged by his movies, it wouldn't work. Um, the most obvious foreshadow is when Stark tells Captain America that he's not special and everything about him was born in a vial. And then uh, Captain America uh, proves him wrong by being a great leader and in inspiration in New York City. So. You know, we all saw that coming. And then uh, even more obvious is Captain America tells Stark he will never sacrifice himself. Well, guess what? Who tries to sacrifice themselves when it all came down? <laughs> Mr. Stark, when he rode that missile into space. <laughs> Not to mention subsequently in Infinity War in yes. Endgame. <laughs> yes. So... You know, uh, you you have that you have that Marvel storytelling engine where a character will say, "This has never happened before," or "You can't do that," or "I doubt you'll ever do this." And then at the end of the movie, the character does the opposite, <laughs> and uh, you can set your watch to it. Um, you can set your Stan Lee to it. Um, it's it's going to be like that, and it's not going to change. Yeah, it's true. And um, you mentioned that, and I uh, I can't help but uh, recollect a, a time when me and my friends were you know getting some dinner before we went to go watch Infinity War, and we were just talking about predictions and stuff that we want to make before uh, the movie happened. And I said, "Hey, wouldn't it be crazy if they did something with Red Skull on these?" He's kind of disappeared, but he's still somewhere in the universe. And mm -hmm. lo and behold, guess who was guarding the Soul Stone? Yes, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving, Mr. Agent Smith. Um, Absolutely. Himself. And, I mean, it was, it was definitely a, a very cool moment, a very cool reveal. But it was definitely cheapened by the fact that me and my friends were going crazy at predicting that scene happening. <laughs> Right. You know, if they had Eric Bana or Edward Norton um, as the soul stone keeper and all their whole role was to complain about how they used to be great and wanted, that would have been better. <laughs> that would have been that would have been incredible. <laughs> and or or James uh was it James Garfield or Andrew Garfield? Andrew Garfield, yeah. Yeah, if he was there just complaining like, you know, I, I should be in these movies. <laughs> um, not that jerk, Tom Holland. I would have liked to have seen that. <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> That would have been fantastic. In my universe, uh, Tobey Maguire replaces Stan Lee in all his cameos. Uh, I I would like to live in that universe. Yes, and he and his whole motivation is just to mope and just say, "This should be me, guys. I should be here." <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I would like that, or I would like him to just always say, it's pizza time. (laughs) (laughs) It's pizza time. (laughs) Oh, man. Which is, by far and away, the greatest line ever uttered in a superhero film. Absolutely. You know, who needs I am Iron Man? (laughs) Right. Who needs Avengers Assemble? Give me pizza time. (laughs) Yes. For some reason, I don't remember that line as much as Tobey Maguire's line that he, um, when MJ says, why do you have such low confidence or why are you so shy? And he says, I hunch. (laughs) I hunch a lot. Or, yeah, I'm probably probably destroying the line, but basically his whole motivation is that uh, he has bad back posture and that's why he's a... He's not as cool. I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. So moving on to my second criticism of the Avengers. um, Is the idea that maybe Avengers is too safe. Avengers in most Marvel movies need to follow a safe formula to make sure they don't bomb in theaters. Marvel is not in the business to create the next Nolan piece. Um, this fate, this phrase is always true when talking about a Marvel movie, a Marvel movie is never horrible, sometimes good, sometimes great, but never groundbreaking. And, um, Marvel movies are professional. They're funny. They're artistic. They're very pretty. Um, but they never want to be a standalone, um, genre definer. And that is the thing about creating your own universe is that you're only as good as your next movie. While uh, things like the Dark Knight trilogy are kind of frozen in time. Um, the, the Avengers, you, got, you, had, you have these great movies, but then you come out with like the Age of Ultron and you're like, okay, that makes me kind of want to forget the Avengers. And you come out with a fit Infinity War, and it's like, okay, well, Infinity War is way better than the Avengers 2012. And you come out with Endgame, and you're like, oh, that one is amazing too. Um, but you know, it kind of it kind of pales in comparison. And you know, uh, Avengers 2021, when you know they fight Galactics, and um, <laughs> you know, it Tom, right here, yeah, Tom Holland becomes Silver Surfer. You know, that one's going to be way better than anything we've seen before. So none of these movies can really stand out because they all rely too much on the next sequel. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, it bleeds, you know, into the, the other movies in, in the genre. And you have a lot of these films are just transition films into the, you know, to the next Avengers vehicle. Um, you know, like, you you know, you have your Black Panthers and you have your your Thor Dark Worlds, and you have, you know, your Captain Marvels, and, you know, they, you know, they're, they're safe movies, and they, they just serve to, to kind of push forward this plot. Right. It's all about the plot. And if I learned anything, and this kind of bleeds into my third point, if I learned anything from League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, it wasn't the peril and the action and the excitement that made um avengers so good we can get that in a lot of team-up movies and a lot of summer blockbusters 
Um, it was the likability of the characters and the actors that portrayed them. That is that is the golden goose that made it work. So I I wanted to I wanted to give Marvel these kudos for creating an action movie, but really secretly I'm just I, I'm lowering my praise to just great actor chemistry. Yeah, they they definitely struck gold with their cast. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, just to, to show how hard that is, you know, you look at you know what Disney tried to do with Star Wars, and you see you know, some of the casting choices, you know, fall a little flat, or even with uh, you know with the other Disney vehicles, um, or sorry, not even their non Disney vehicles that try to copy this ensemble cast, like Justice League. Like you, you know, it's it's hard to get a group of actors to kind of mesh together in in that mm-hmm. way. They definitely bottled lightning. Yeah, everyone's trying to do it now, and it's it's not easy. Um, I I know right off the bat, Adam, that you're referring to the the Country Time Bears movie made by Disney. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Which you know, poorly poorly created. Uh, you know, not so good actors. You got like. Kelly Joe Osmond, he didn't he didn't live up to his paycheck, um, <laughs> and I can't remember any of the others. So there you go, <laughs> nailed it. Yes. No oh, man, um, so, but yeah, no. I, I feel like those are those are some those those are some good critiques, Mike. All right. So that it. that just that just leads us to a, a new portion. I like to call. Uh, the Imagination Station. Yes. Yes. And it goes a little something like this. I'm going to ask you some questions. And mm-hmm. you have to imagine a universe where League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is at the top. It's the lead. And you get to uh, you get to cast vision into what that world would look like. Ooh. Okay. So, okay. Uh, so the first thing is... Um, what kind of video games would come out of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? What a great question. Um, I, I, the video game superhero genre is real is real hit or miss. I think we can admit that, right, Mike? Yep. Um, I, I think on the market right now, there's maybe like two games that are that are like AAA titles that are actually really decent. Like, mm-hmm. more than decent, like, you know, great games. So um, I think of, you know, the Arkham series, and I think of um, the Spider-Man one for PlayStation. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything else is just kind of, like, run-of-the-mill, beat-em-up shooters. So yep. um, I, I'm imagining a world where, um, you know, there's a, there's a team-up game, much like Gauntlet or, you know... Uh, uh, Torchlight or what have you, yep. where you can you can assemble a squad of of four characters, um, you know, from this universe, and you just fight your your you button mash your way through, you know, hordes of guys with a bunch of blow ups and a bunch of explosions and a bunch of shooting, and you know the plot is kind of irrelevant, but it's mostly just about you know dodging around as the invisible man or you know blowing people up as Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Yes, that sort of thing. Being able to drive your 
six wheel cars, Captain Nemo, those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's kind of my vision for for, for at least a video game. All right. And my second question is, what kind of toys would be sold to kids? Well, first off, right off the bat, I would love for there to be uh, an Invisible Man action figure, and it's just an empty box. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, would buy that. It's literally just a box of air. Um, Yeah. But, and and this is something that um, uh, maybe we should have uh, talked about a little bit more, but we get to talk about it now, but... Um, the Marvel franchises and the, and the Avengers in particular, man, it is a um, it is an aftermarket just killing spree. Like yes. the the merchandising is nonstop. It is ever growing, and it it is a juggernaut. Yes. Um, you know if you you know if you want a, a costume for Halloween, you can get ten different Iron Man costumes. You know, you can get mm-hmm. four different Spidey suits and, um, you know, even down to, you know, just random characters like Agent Coulson. You could find a costume for a random <laughs> secondary character. Oh, <laughs> yes. And let's not forget um, that the Korea and Chinese market, um, they know what's good and they come out with their um, Afringers, um <laughs> With Spider Friend, yes, played by Toby Garfield, and um, um, you got Soki, and <laughs> you have Lore, um, the Incredible Sulk, yes, um, and you know Lieutenant America, exactly, uh, who and, actually just looks like Guile. Yes, <laughs> they just repurpose a Guile costume, right? Um. But I, I guess in translating that to leave extraordinary gentlemen, um, yeah, we just get we just get toys, and there's just um, a real resurgence of literature in America. People, mm-hmm. you know, people are loving to read these original novelizations, and um, you know, <laughs> America's literacy rate jumps up a bunch of levels, and yes. you know, everything is great. Um, but but we also get you know uh, kind of the the tech you know, the, the tech version, the tech guy uh, equivalent in uh, Leo Extraordinary Gentleman is Captain Nemo, obviously, with his submarine and his cars and stuff like that. So, you know, there's a whole line of, like, cool little steampunkish robots and, um, you know, steampunky oh. little vehicles and cars and submarines and right. helicopters and stuff. Um, like when Nerf comes out with a harpoon gun... <laughs> And uh, yeah, kids are harpooning each other. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm envisioning um, some Dorian Gray painting sets. Um, yes. <laughs> um, you know, uh, a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde sort of baby's first scientific beaker. Um, yes. Like anything and everything. Um, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's you know that's the the universal picture. And Mike, yep. it's very steampunk gothic, and it's great. Oh, absolutely. Now, um, what is a creepy fanfic that someone would write if this was <laughs> the top story? Oh, man. Uh, 
man. I, I hope think... you say shirtless Alan Quartermain. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's the, that's the go-to. That's the given. Um, mm-hmm. I want to I wanna go off the beaten path. And yeah. um, <laughs> I want a character. So, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. But um, he, uh, both of his, both of his versions are in love with uh, the same, uh, the same vampire girl, you know, a la, mm-hmm. a la Hulk and um, uh, 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 Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it turns out that um, the, the vampire is just, uh, is just in love with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde because uh, the smell of his blood and... Mm-hmm. Uh, so then along comes a werewolf and there's kind of like this weird love triangle between the three of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the third of the third book, uh, Dr. Jekyll, and Mr. Hyde either has to choose between the vampire or this uh, racially ambiguous werewolf. <laughs> um, and <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to choose between the two and I'll call it Twilight. Oh, man. Yep. The Twilight of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I like and it. Ladies. And yes. ladies. And uh, finally, what is a crossover that the internet would try to do when they do like a who could beat who? Ooh, what a great, what a good question. Um, huh. I, I kind of want to keep it in um, like the Alan Moore universe. Yes. Um, I think it would be... Uh, a little, a little unfair if we did like a Dr. Manhattan. No. <laughs> yeah, crossover. Exactly. Yes. Like I think it would be a little bit too much. But you know, I would love for um, you know, if like for example, like one of H. G. Wells' famous book is um, about a time machine, right? So mm-hmm. you know, some of the league gets transported into the future, and they're in the the world of V V for Vendetta, and they have to kind of fight against this corrupt. Uh, you know, this element with, you know, Alan Quartermain and Sawyer and, you know, all mm-hmm. these characters fighting alongside V from V for Vendetta. And they just kind of, you know, this, this epic crossover and then, you know, it kind of ends with them blowing up Parliament and then them shaking hands. Uh, yes. No, give me yeah. some more of that grim, dark noir. I love it. Absolutely. So that is our imagination station. Um, tell us fans do you want to live in a world where that is uh chief and part of your universe Um, yes yes i mean the answer is yes but you can tell (laughs) us otherwise we'll make fun of you but it's true it's true we'll judge you yes but i i believe there's a machine we can use adam to actually look into this world it's true we don't have to pretend we can we can uh actually take a look for ourselves Yep, I'm, I'm going to flip a switch into our alternate universe generator. Um, this is going to be Earth 3.751. Um, I need to put in these <coughs> old Our Lady Peace and Cake B-sides <laughs> to, to fuel the machine. It's great, perfect. And then, uh, yeah, we are going to get started. Are you ready? Uh, yep. Just uh, give me a good countdown so I can get these goggles on. All right. We're going to start this uh, world in three, 
2-1. We open on Mike and Adam about to walk into a movie theater. Ah, come on, man. I told you that we needed to cosplay for this premiere. Uh, Mike, one, I'm not cosplaying, and two, dude, are you serious? Tonight's the premiere for Avengers Endgame? There's literally nobody here. You know I love these obscure movies. I'm just glad that the Avengers got a trilogy. The studio was having problems with Chris Evans. He's kind of a massive diva. Yeah, I heard the studio wanted to pass on Captain America's legacy to Bucky Barnes. It's more in line with the comic book. But Evans said he wouldn't take part unless the shield got passed to Falcon. They wave their tickets and walk into the lobby. I know, I know. This film is pretty controversial, but hear me out on the original plot. I'm so tired of all those Alan Quartermain vehicles, and at this point, with Disney purchasing them and making all those spin-off shows, it's basically a thinly-veiled cash grab. Yeah, I suppose you're right. And besides, this Avengers movie should be good. The visual effects look pretty great. Let's go grab some snacks before the movie starts. Oh man, Adam, look. They have the new flavor of that brand, popular brand, Orbitz. But I think I'm going to grab a Shasta out of the Shasta Freestyle Machine. Dude, you know that stuff goes right through you. The last time we were here for the Black Hole 3, The Wrath of Old Bob, you left right before the climax of the story. Fine, I'll get a bottle of water, but you can't talk me out of the box of Butterfinger BBs. Oh, shoot, uh, the, the movie's about to start. Let's hurry and get in there. Uh, Several hours later outside the theater. Oh, man, that was incredible. I can't believe Captain America got Thor's hammer thingy. And I love how the entire story hinged on some random rat being able to sneak its way into a locked van and that has been sitting there for years only to flip the exact switch in order for the plot to make sense. Well, I can't believe that movie was three hours. That's like two League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movies tied together. And speaking of that, uh, Thor reference was obviously Warner Brothers trying to emulate the literature pedigree of all those characters in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, and on top of that, the whole time travel thing was just a ripoff of Time Machine by H.G. Wells and the plot of the fourth A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. Yeah, they're just trying so hard to make this Robert Downey Jr. guy as likable as Sean Connery. Sometimes he's charming, but honestly, he feels a little tryhard sometimes, and it comes across as pandering. I never thought I would say this, but I miss steampunk. The Avengers leaned too far into neo-science fiction that I got whiplash. Yeah, that's totally valid. All that crazy mumbo jumbo about time traveling to kill Hitler—they ripped the whole—they uh, ripped the wholesale the plot of *League of Extraordinary Gentlemen* one, *The Nazi Menace*. I know everyone's not a fan of the prequels, but the end of that movie, when Lawrence of Arabia dies in that duel with Adolf Hitler, and Alan Quartermain uses his shotgun blast to blast him into that tiger's den—that's pretty much what dreams are made of. True that, but uh, Adam, do you think we could move on? My Black Widow costume is chafing, and I'm out of baby powder. We talked about this, Mike. No more skin-tight leather. Okay, but it makes me feel pretty hot to trot. <sighs> Fate of Black. Man, what an ending. And <laughs> um, yes. If you want to live in a world where Mike wears skin-tight leather, then please go watch this movie. Ah, uh, yeah. And there you have it. You, we, we have successfully defended League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, much to the hatred of the whole internet. <laughs> and I, 
I hear a thousand souls crying out and then not crying anymore. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, Mike. And, uh, and we're, we're not under the impression that we, that, you know, we're not so blind as to think that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is as good as the Avengers. But what we are saying is give this movie a chance and you, you'll see a lot of things that you like about Avengers and modern day movies. But, you know, these, this movie was getting it done nine years earlier. Absolutely. And I, I can happily say that I was pleasantly surprised. I was expecting to walk into, um, into a, a bad situation in which I would have to have uh, hijacked th- this podcast, like Nemo hijacks ships. <laughs> And ripped it away from you and then caused a mutiny, which would have uh, told you how bad this movie is. But I'm, I'm, leaving, I'm leaving my Hulu experience with s- some joy. Yeah, it's, it's definitely um, a movie that, that, that stands out. It's, it's, it's a movie that I think is very much representative of the time in Hollywood that it came out in. Um, but despite that, it's, it's just a genuinely fun movie. Absolutely. And with that said, looks like our time is about up, but we want you to know that this was a blast. And I, if you agreed on one point, at least one point, then we have done our job. <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, so and we just want you guys to keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. Keep an open mind and uh, get ready for our next episode where we talk about Steve Nash being better than Larry Bird. <laughs> I was not ready for a sports reference. That was yep. great. <laughs> we haven't done sports yet, and I think it's time, Adam. It's true. I mean, of all the famous white guy basketball players, Steve Nash and Larry Bird definitely stand out. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) we'll see you guys next time we'll see you guys next time